Amen. All right. Well, you're there in Ephesians chapter number five, and I want to bring your attention to a very familiar verse that we've been looking at a lot over the last couple of weeks, and that is in verse number 15, where the Bible says, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 16. Look at verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's where we've got, we got the, the title for this series, Redeeming the Time, and we've been talking about uh, time management, and we've been learning biblical principles for our time management. We, we began the series two weeks ago, and if you remember, and, and you don't have to turn there, but if you remember, we started by looking at this concept out of Psalm 90, where the psalmist said, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And we learned, we started by kind of laying the foundation for this series, and learning this principle that when we live with the realization that we're running out of time, we will then make better decisions with our time. That's why he said, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Last week, we talked about this idea, of, which is actually, if you're there in Ephesians 5, if you look at verse 15, it says, see then that ye walk circumspectly. See then that ye walk circumspectly. That word circumspect means cautiously or on purpose. And he says, not as fools, but as wise. There's a connection there between how you use your time and whether you are considered a fool or you are considered a wise person. And last week, we talked about prioritizing your time. we got to uh, walk circumspectly. We've got to be very careful how we use our time. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that the ownership of our life ought to determine the objectives of our time. Jesus owns us, so he gets to tell us what our objectives are or what our goals are. And we talked about the fact that the objectives of our time determine the order of our priorities. And we talked about the order of our priorities will produce, uh, will give us the outcome of our product productivity. And we went through all that and we talked about living a life of priorities. Today, uh, we're going to, I want you to notice something in scripture just as we begin, and, uh, and I want to give you a couple of things to, to consider, uh, but I, I want you to notice this. The Bible indicates that there is monetary value to time. The Bible has this idea, or it uses this type of idea, that, that, that there is value, monetary value. There's, there's financial value to time. If you look down at verse, look at verse 15 and 16 again. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Notice the word, redeeming redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word redeem means to buy, to purchase, to pay for, to clear by payment. Here, God tells us, he says, you can redeem the time. He says there's a monetary value to time. And we don't just find this in Ephesians. We also find it in Colossians. Let's look at it together real quickly. Are there in Ephesians? If you just flip over to the book of Philippians and then Colossians, Colossians chapter number four, and look at verse number five. Colossians chapter number 4 and verse 5. Colossians 4, 5, notice what he says. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom, right? We talked about that. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. But notice what he says, redeeming. He says, redeeming the time, which means to buy, to pay for, to purchase, to clear by payment. And you've probably heard this phrase before, right? Who's ever heard this phrase, time is money, right? We've all heard that. You may have said that before, you know? Someone's making you late, you know, or someone's wasting your time. You say, hey, look, time is money, you know? And, and, and if you have a job, you know, you know this because if you have a job every day, every day you go to work, what are you trading? You're trading your time for what? Money. 
right? I mean, you, you go in and you, uh, you know, maybe you have a salary or maybe you get hourly, you know, an hourly pay. But if, if you get paid hourly, then that's what your hour is worth. You agree to that. You decide and you know, I'm going to uh, give you one hour of my time for X amount of money. So there's this idea, and it's not difficult to understand, that there is monetary value to time. You, you may ask, well, Pastor Jimenez, why are you bringing this up? Here's why I'm bringing it up. Because the fact that God... Uh, equates these ideas. The Word of God equates the idea that money and time are can be exchanged or can be equivalent or you can trade one for the other. It's interesting because there are some principles that have to do with your finances. And I'm not preaching on finances this morning, but I have preached on finances. I usually preach on finances once a year. And when I talk about finance, I'm not talking about giving and tithing, but I'm talking about budgeting and saving and getting out of debt. And I preached an entire series. I think last year I preached a four-week series on the subject of finances and what the Bible teaches about that. But here's what I want you to know. There are some principles that apply to your finances. There are some practices that apply to your finances that also apply to your time because time is money. And we're told to redeem the time. So this morning, I want to. Here's, here's what I have. And as we finish up this series, I want you to understand. I've got two practices and two principles, two financial practices that if you do these in your life, they will not only help you with your money, but they will also help you with your time. And there are two principles that if you understand this, it will not only help you with your money, but it will also help you with your time. Now, here's the thing. To go over all four in one sermon would have taken too long. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you one practice today and one principle today, and I'm going to give you one practice next week and one principle next week as we finish up this idea of redeeming the time and time management and what the Bible teaches about finances. Now, I want you to do me a favor and go with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 144. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you will more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And when you get there, I want you to put a ribbon or a bookmark or a bulletin or something in Psalms because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to Psalms throughout the sermon, so I want you to be able to get there fairly quickly. Psalm 144. Let me give you another verse, and this is actually the verse that is in our bulletin this week, but let me give you another verse that kind of equates this idea of time and money, time and finances. Psalm 144, look at verse 3. Lord, what is man? Psalm 144 and verse 3. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Or the son of man that thou makest, I want you to notice this word, account. You see that? That thou makest account of him. Man is like to vanity. His days, what are our days? That's our time. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. See, in verse 4, he talks about time. And in verse 3, he uses this accounting, this financial term. The word account there means to count, means to reckon, means to, to, uh, that it's accounted for. And he said that thou makest account of him. Man is like vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. Now, I want you to understand. I'm not preaching about finances, because some of you guys get really offended when somebody preach, talks about finances. I'm not preaching about finances this morning. I'm preaching about time. But if you're smart, you'd apply both to time and money. Number one, and for those of you that are, like to take notes, I'd encourage you to take notes. I'd like you to write this down. Number one, learn the practice of savings in regards to your time. Learn the practice of savings in regards to your time. Now, keep your place there in Psalms. We're going to come back to it. But go with me to the book of Exodus, all right? It's the second book in the Bible. It should be fairly easy to find. You've got the book of Genesis, and then you've got the book of Exodus. Learn the practice of savings in regards to your time. When it comes to your finances, you ought to be actively saving 
for a rainy day. I preached on that, and I'm not going to preach on that this morning, but here's what I will tell you, and here's how the Bible kind of equates it. There's always a famine coming. There's always a famine coming. There's always coming a time when you may lose your job or you may be too sick to work or there's always a, finance, a bill coming or something coming. There's always a famine coming. And the principle we find in Scripture is that you prepare during the good times to be ready for the bad times, all right? And I'm not preaching on money. And here, I, I, will tell, I will tell you this. There are two, there are two things that I enjoy uh, studying about or, or reading about in Scripture, and, and, and those are finances and, 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 and time management because I, I, I want to succeed at both, you know? I want to be productive with my life, and, and, and so I'm kind of combining those two thoughts. But here's, in your life, you ought to be, uh, you ought to be, uh, saving money, you know, and, and, and here's the thing, you, it, it, it's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. In fact, I can just, I can help you with your finances right now. Here, here's all you need to know about your, your finances. When you get paid, here's what you should do with your money. You need to give, you need to save, and you need to live off the rest. I mean, that's basically it. You give, you save, and you live off the rest. And you ought to be actively saving because there's a famine coming. But when it comes to savings, see, we understand savings when it comes to our finance. We understand one day I may not be able to work. One day I may have to retire. One day my health may not allow me to go work a job, so I better be actively saving for those rainy days. I better be actively saving for those famine days that are coming. But here's what you need to understand. When it comes to your time, you ought to practice the idea of savings, because just like savings is good when it comes to money, savings is good when it comes to time. Now, you may ask, well, how do you save time? I mean, it's not like we can grab time. You know, I'm going to grab time and put it away somewhere so I can use it later. And here's the thing about time. Time is fleeting. Remember, we learned that in the first sermon. We are running out of time. You cannot hold on to it. It is fleeting. But what you can do is you can take simple steps to help you save the time that you have. And I want to give you just real quickly, this morning is not going to be a real preachy type sermon. It's going to be very practical. But I want to give you just three things that you can do in your life to help you practice savings when it comes to your time. Are you there in Exodus 18? I'd like you to look down at verse number 5. Exodus chapter number 18 and verse 5. Exodus 18, we have a story of Moses. Remember, Moses was leading the children of Israel in the wilderness. He was leading a, a big organization, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in his congregation that he was in charge of as the leadership. And Moses had someone come by who today you and I would kind of see him as an advisor. We see him as kind of a coach. Someone that would walk in and kind of look at the situation and uh, give him counsel. Oftentimes, when um, people come to our church and maybe they're newer, after they've been here for a month or two, I'll, I'll ask, you know, is there anything you see that we can do better? When we hire a new staff person after several months, I might ask them, is there anything that you can see that we can do better? Because sometimes when you walk into an organization, you are able to have kind of fresh eyes. You're able to see. And that's what we're going to see in this story. Look at Exodus 18 and verse number 5. And Jethro, that's an interesting name. Moses' father-in-law came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness where he encamped at, Mount, uh, at the Mount of God. So Moses has now brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He went through all the plagues. He's crossed the Red Sea. He's done all of that. He's now the leader. He's in charge of the children of Israel. And Jethro, okay, he didn't live in, in Beverly Hills, okay, Jethro is his father-in-law, and he shows up uh, basically into the life of of Moses. Just for sake of time, let's skip down to verse number 13. Notice what it says. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. Now Moses brings Jethro with him to work. He, it's, you know, bring your father-in-law to work day there. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people uh, stood by Moses. Notice, 
from morning until evening. This took a lot of time. It's a big process of time. In the Bible, if you study the word morning or morn out, it's usually referring to 6 a.m. Evening or eve is usually referring to 6 p.m. Moses goes to work. He clocks in at 6 a.m. And he's not done till 6 p.m. His day took a long time. It was a big process, a big consumption of time. Look at verse 14. And when Moses' father-in-law saw that all, saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself, notice this word, alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening. He said, he's, he, here's what he's saying. How do you, why do you do this, Moses? He said, if this is what you do all day, 12 hours a day, six days a week, and you take the Sabbath off, if this is what you do, how do you, have, how do you find time for anything else? I mean, this is a big consumption and a big waste of time. Look at verse 15. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. You know, he said, well, don't you know, I'm, I'm an important guy. You know, I'm the boss. I'm the leader. I, I need to give direction, and I need to uh, uh, give, 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 give people uh, uh, the orders, and I need to tell them I'm the one that speaks to them on behalf of God. Look at verse 16. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his law. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, and notice what his father-in-law says. You know, I'm sure Moses thought, I'm going to bring Jethro to work with me, and he's going to be impressed. I mean, Jethro, look, look at all these people waiting in line to ask me a question. Look at all these people just waiting for me to give them direction. But you know what? Jethro wasn't impressed. Because notice what Jethro says in verse number 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Now, here's what he's saying, okay? He's not saying what you're doing is, is, is bad, like sinful, but what he's saying, how you're doing it is not good. Or what he's saying is, there's a better way to do it, Moses. He said, you're, 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 what you're doing is fine, but, but you're not doing it in the best or more effective or more efficient, most efficient way. Look at verse 18. He says, thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. He said, it's too much work for you. You can't, you can't do this day in and day out. Thou art not able to perform it thyself. Here's the key word, alone. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. He said, there's only so much that you can do. There's only so many hours in a day. He said, the, the way you're doing it is not efficient. It's not effective. Look at verse 19. Hearken now unto my voice. And I, he says, I will give thee counsel. Now, let me just stop there for a moment and say this. Moses was probably one of the most successful men who ever walked this earth. As far as the impact that he made for eternity, as far as the impact that he made on the world, Moses was a very successful man. And at this time in his life, Moses was at the pinnacle of his leadership and success. I mean, this is the man that crumbled Egypt who was running the world. I mean, could you imagine a man walking into the United States of America, which is the most powerful nation in the world, and literally bringing it to its knees? That was Moses. 
He walked into Egypt. And with the power of God and with the hand of God, he walked in. And after those ten plagues literally destroyed, let, freed an entire nation of captives without ever pulling out a sword, without ever, you know, uh, 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 having a battle. He brought them out. And then God delivered them through the Red Sea. And God has taken care of them. And God has blessed them. And God has been with them. And if there was ever a man, if there was ever a man who had the right to say, Jethro, shut up. It was Moses. But you know, if you read the passage, not only did Jethro give counsel to Moses, Moses took his counsel. And I want you to understand, that's why he was success. And there are people, even in this church, that will fail. You will fail in your marriage, and you will fail with your children, and you will fail with your finances, and you will fail with your, uh, with your time, because you're too proud and arrogant to have anybody give you counsel. Because you will not listen. Because you will not, and that wasn't Moses. Jethro shows up and says, can I give you some advice? And Moses says, sure. I'd love to hear it. Notice, notice what the Bible says. Look at verse 19. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel. And God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt, notice verse 20. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein ye must walk and um, the work that they must do. He says, Moses, you've got, you've got priorities. He said, that is important. You need to do those things because, Moses, you're the only one that is able to do those things for the children of Israel. And look, and in my life and in your life and in my work, which is Verity Baptist Church, and in your work, whatever it may be, maybe you own a business or maybe you work in, in leadership in, in a business or whether it's your home, whether you're homeschooling, there are things that are your priorities. We talked about that last week. There are things that only you can do and that you need to focus on. And Jethro tells Moses, 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 there are things that you need to focus on. There are things that you need to do. Notice verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear of God. And by the way, these are great characteristics for leadership. And we try to have these characteristics in the men that we choose for leadership here at Ready Baptist Church, such as fear of God, men of truth, hating covetousness, uh, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter that they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall, notice this word, these, these, these three words, bear the burden. You see that? They shall bear the burden with thee. What was it that Jethro, what was it that Jethro was advising or counseling Moses to do? He was advising him to delegate. He was advising him to delegate. He was telling him, you are wasting, you are consuming too much of your time in one area that, quite frankly, Moses, I know you think it's nice that hundreds of thousands of people or thousands of people every day, or I don't know how many, you know, are sitting there and waiting for you. I know that that might boost your ego a lot. I know it might, might be nice. But here's the thing, Moses, someone else could do that job. Someone else can do that job. When two neighbors are fighting about, you know, his chicken killed my chicken, you don't have to deal with that, Moses. 
You can train someone. You can delegate that task to somebody else. Now he said, no, there's going to be there's going to be jobs that are important. There's going to be matters that are important, and those need to be brought to you. But there are other things, Moses, that you don't need to be concerned with, that you don't need to do. And Jethro advises Moses, and he says, let me help you with your time. Let me help you learn how to save your time. And he, he said, here's what you got to do. You've got to delegate. Delegate. And by the way, you find this concept in the New Testament as well. We won't take the time to read it. But in Acts chapter number 6, you remember that the children, that the, the church in, uh, in Jerusalem was growing and the widows were neglected in their daily ministration because there was too much to do. And what did they do? They found seven men and, what, and they delegated the task and the job to them. And in your life, you say, how do I save time? Here's how you do it. Now, you, you, you delegate. Now, sometimes people don't know what, you know, what should I delegate? Let me give you um, some statements in regards to things to delegate. Okay, here we go. The things that you need to delegate are, are these. The things that you uh, do not need to do but need to be done. If there is something on your schedule that you do not need to do but it needs to be done, then figure out a way to delegate it. Things that, th things that you do not need to do but they need to be done. They're important. It was important that the widows were taken care of in the church in Acts, uh, in the church in, in Acts chapter number six. But Peter didn't necessarily have to do it. But the apostles didn't necessarily have to do it. And in fact, they said, it's no reason that we should serve tables. It's no reason that we should serve tables and leave the word of God. They said, let's get seven men to delegate this task to, to delegate this responsibility to. It's important to be done, but we'll give ourselves to the word of God in prayer. See, the things that you ought to delegate are things that you do not need to do, but that need to get done. The things that you need to delegate are the things that you don't like to do, but need to get done. You know, you, you may not like to do it, and you have the ability to delegate that. Hey, delegate it. The things that you need to delegate are the things that you are not good at. Let me talk to business owners for a little bit. I think we got like 10 or 12 business owners in our church. Let me explain to you the secret of success in, in, in ministry, business, whatever it is. Sometimes we as the leaders... You know, when my wife and I started Verity Baptist Church, we started this church in our living room with, uh, you know, a handful of people. It, it took us over a year to get to the point where we had 10 people coming to our church. And sometimes when you start an organization from the beginning, it kind of becomes your baby, and, and, you, and you just think to yourself, well, well, nobody can do it as well as I do. Well, just realize that that's not true. And there are some things that you're not good at. And it would actually help your business, or it would help your organization, or it would help your work. If you learn to identify things that I'm just not really good at, X, Y, and Z, and then delegate those things. Another thing, you, the other things you got to delegate are the things that you do not have time to do, but they need to get done. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. Whatever area you find yourself in, whether it's running a business, whether it's running a home, whether it's running a church, whatever it might be, there are things that you can delegate. You know, maybe you have employees. Maybe you've got workers that underneath you. Maybe you're not the owner, but you're the manager. Maybe you've got people that are under your authority, and you need to learn how to delegate properly to those people. In the home, children, in the home, children ought to be delegated to. There is no reason in the world, as your children get older, that mom or dad have to be out there with a lawnmower Mowing the lawn, or taking the trash out, or cleaning up the dog doo-doo, or whatever it might be, you know. In your home, you need to learn. And, and here's the thing with parents. We think, yeah, but if, if I just do it myself, it'll be faster. Or if I just do it myself, it'll get done right. 
And if I allow my children to do it, they're not going to do it right, and I'm going to have to come in behind them. But listen to me. If you take the time to train, if you take the time to, 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 to help them learn and grow, they can become a great asset to your family, and you can learn to delegate. The only way that Verity Baptist Church will grow is if we learn, and as if I learn as a pastor, to delegate the things that are important but that I don't need to do. And by the way, the only way that the church will grow is if people step up and volunteer their time and say, hey, pastor, I can do that. You don't need to do that. You've got other things you can do. And, and they take the responsibility and allow themselves to serve and allow themselves to give their time needed. You know, what you can do in your life when it comes to saving time is delegate. A big shift in the ministry of Moses was when Jethro came and said, hey, let me give you some advice. You want to save some time? Here's how you do it. Delegate. Okay, so what do you do to save time? You delegate. But let me give you another thing that you can do uh, in order to save your time. We said, number one, delegate. But the second thing that you can do in your life to save your time is you say, well, I don't have anybody to delegate to, or my children are too young to delegate to. I try to tell my two-year-old to go mow the lawn, but he won't listen. You know, I, I don't have anybody that, that, that's doing, that I can delegate to. But here's something that you can do to help you save time. If you cannot delegate, then learn to automate. Learn to automate. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let's give the, the, the major example. The example, automate your bills. If you can, if your finances allow it, if your systems allow it, automate your bill. At Verity Baptist Church, we automate all of our bills. Now, we recently moved into this building, so there are some things that are not automated at this point, but they soon will be. But we automate our bills. I don't, I don't spend, you know, eight hours writing out checks, you know, for all the bills that have to be paid around here. Now, there are some things that I, they, they won't allow us to automate, and I have to write those checks, and I have to do those things. But as much as possible, we automate. And in your life, maybe you can set up bill pay. Maybe you can set up electronic payments. You know, that's one example of automating things in your life. When you allow another system or allow something else to, norm, to, to, to automatically take care of the things that you need to do. But let me give you an example. You say, well, automate, you know, the bills. I, I get that. But you can also do this in your life. And I've got like 500 examples that I could give you of how we automate systems at Verity Baptist Church that, you know, Brother Stucky, Brother Oliver, and Miss JC would understand, but you guys would probably be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, let me give you an example, a practical example, something my wife does at home, just to help you understand what do we mean by automate, okay? Something my wife uh, does, and she developed a while ago, is she decided... Now, she doesn't do this for dinner, all right, but for lunch because, you know, we're a home, she, she's a homeschool family, and I primarily work from an office at home. So I basically work from home. I mean, I come down here, you know, all the time throughout the week and, and, uh, and everything, but the, pro, the, pro, the, the, the major amount of time is spent in my office at home preparing sermon studies, things like that. So I basically work from home. My, our children are homeschooled, so we're home all day long. So, you know, my wife has to not only make dinner for the family every night, but she also makes lunch for the family every day. And uh, I'm a little spoiled, and I don't eat leftovers, I guess, you know. So she, she makes the full, full-on meals. But here's what my wife does to help her save some time. She decided, and again, she doesn't do this for dinner, but she does do this for lunch. She decided every day of the week we will have the same lunch on that day of the week. So, for example, on Monday... We have the same thing for lunch every Monday, you know, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's grilled chicken, sometimes it's, you know, uh, lasagna, so whatever it is that she makes, you know, she, she rotates even those menus just to not 
you know, just so we don't get bored. But every Monday for a, a set season of time, we eat the same thing on Monday. We eat the same thing on Tuesday. We eat the same thing on Wednesday. We eat the same thing on Thursday. That She automated that. So here's what happens. She's busy homeschooling. She's busy. And now it's lunchtime. And instead of her sitting, you know, in front of a refrigerator or in front of cupboards trying to figure out, you know, what do I make for lunch? She doesn't have to waste that time because she knows it's Tuesday. We're making, you know, uh, you know, I, my, my favorite is the, the carne asada tacos, all right, for lunch. Or sometimes she makes, like, the breakfast burritos for lunch. I love breakfast burritos for lunch, you know, and she'll, and she'll you know, the breakfast for lunch. I, I could eat breakfast anytime, You know, but she doesn't have to sit there and think about it. And, by the way, it also helps her time with groceries because she doesn't have to sit there and say, what are we going to – she knows what she needs to go into the store and purchase. She knows what she needs to have on hand. She knows what she needs to stock up on. She knows what she's doing every day. That's an example of automating. And in your life, and in my life, maybe that doesn't work for you, but what I'm trying to say is this. In your life, try to see, where can I automate? Hey, let me give you a good example of automate. You ought to automate your Sunday mornings. And you ought to automate your Sunday nights. And you ought to automate your Wednesday nights. The reason that some of you are so inconsistent to church is because you wake up every Sunday morning and ask yourself this question. Should I go to church today? See, people who are faithful to church just automated that a long time ago. They decided a long time ago, at, at, you know, at the Jimenez home, and it's not just because I'm a pastor, because it was like this before I was a pastor. We never, And it, even in, in, in the Jimenez home when I was a child, we never woke up on Sunday morning and asked ourselves, are we going to go to church? We just knew we go to church Sunday morning. We go to church Sunday night. We go to church Wednesday night. We go soul wedding Saturday. Hey, just automate some of those decisions. Automate some of those things, and you'll be fine. You know, I, I wear, I, you may or may have not noticed, I wear a white shirt every time I preach. Now, you know, let me set some of you at ease. It's not the same white shirt, okay? <laughs> I've got like 20 of them. But, I, you know, but you know what I don't do every Sunday morning is sit there in front of a closet every, you know, for 20 minutes. Should I wear the blue shirt? Should I wear the red shirt? Should I wear the black? You know, it's just, I got, I'm like Charlie Brown. You know, I just got one shot. Just grab it and go. You know, I'm just saying automate. So how do you save time? You delegate. How do you save time? You automate. How do you save time? You eliminate. There are some things that you just don't need to do. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because we kind of talked about it last week. But the, the, the point is this. Sometimes to accomplish more, you need to do less. Sometimes to accomplish more, you need to do less. And there are some things in your life, and even in our ministry from time to time, we will sit down and say, what are we doing that we don't need to be doing? And in your life, what are we doing that we don't need to be doing? What am I doing every week that I don't need to be doing? There's no reason to, to, for me to be doing that. So you automate, you delegate, you eliminate. Let me say this about delegation. You can also delegate to professionals. Now, I'm not saying you ought to do this if you're broke, okay? But if you're financially stable and you can do this, you know, maybe you can pay a landscaper to take care of the lawn. Maybe you can pay, uh, you know, uh, 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 a place to do your dry cleaning. Maybe you can pay someone else to take care of things that you just really don't need to do. Now, listen to me. If you're working at McDonald's, and I'm not making fun of you working at McDonald's, you know, I, I'm just saying if, you, if, you're, if you're on an income that's low, you probably don't want to go out and hire a landscaper. But if you've got a business and you're running a big corporation or you're running a big, and your hour cost you, you know, a hundred bucks. You know, they paid me a hundred dollars to 
do whatever it is that you do, or your hour costs you $50, it may be worth paying someone else to do those tasks. It may be worth paying somebody else to do the maintenance on the vehicle or to change the oil on the car, or it may be worth the 10 bucks to run it through the, the drive through car wash instead of you spending 30 minutes that you could have spent doing something more important. Does that, do you understand what I'm saying? You delegate. You automate. And then some things you just eliminate. You just realize this is a waste of time. Let me give you some examples of things you can eliminate. TV. <laughs> Let me give you some, some things you can eliminate. Some things you could probably eliminate. Facebook. Okay, now if you're on the Verity Baptist Church Facebook, that's fine. All right? Now, I'm not saying, you know, you can't ever go on Facebook because some people spend way too much time on Facebook. Some people spend way too much time surfing the Internet. Some people, you know, spend any time you spend on TV, you know, or whatever it is. There are things you can eliminate. There are things that you can automate. There are things that you can delegate. So we are talking about this idea of financial principles for your time. And the first one we saw this morning was learn the practice of savings in regards to your time. That's the practice. Let me give you a principle. And we'll be done here, and, and we won't be very long this morning, all right? So number one, learn the practice of savings in regards to your time. Learn the practice of savings in regards to your time. Let me give you another one. Leverage the principle of investing with time. Leverage the principle of investing with time. Now do me a favor and go to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah towards the end of the Old Testament. You got those big major books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Isaiah is the first of those major prophets. Go to Isaiah. And while you turn there, let me kind of lay the foundation for what I mean. And I'm afraid that if I go too deep into this, I'm going to lose you, so I'll try to do it as quickly as I can, but try to pay attention uh, so I can lay the foundation for this principle. You say, what do you mean by this principle of investing? Uh, well, let me, let me talk to you about investment. I'm going to read uh, uh, an article here because I felt like somebody else could probably explain this better than I could. This is an article that I got from a website called investopia.com. I'm not, um, you know, putting my stamp of approval on them. I just found this article on this website. The website, the, the article is called Investing 101, the Concepts of compounding, the concept of compounding. Let me just read for you a little bit of this article. It says this, Albert Einstein called compound interest the greatest mathematical discovery of all time. We think this is true partly because, the, partly because unlike the trigonometry and, or calculus that you studied back in high school, compounding can be applied to everyday life. The wonder of compounding, sometimes called compound interest, transforms your working money into a state-of-the-art Highly powerful income generating tool. Compounding is a process of generating earnings on an asset's reinvested earnings to, uh, to your investment. The more you are able to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm messing up here. To work, it requires two things the reinvestment of earnings and time. The more time you give your investment, the more you are able to accelerate the income potential of your original investment, which takes the pressure off. Of you. So they give us an example here to help you understand. And again, I'm not trying to bore you to death. And if you understand compound interest, you know where I'm going with this. But for those of you that don't, let me just try to help you, right? If you invest, here's how compound interest works. Now, let me say this. The example they give you is extremely simple, okay? This is not actually how investing works. So don't go out, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm giving you that little disclaimer. I'm not your investment, you know, professional, okay? Don't, uh, this, this is not how it actually works. It's a very simplified way of looking at it, but it gets the point across. If you invest $10,000 today at 6%, you will have $10,600 in one year. Now, let's say that 
uh, rather than withdrawing the 600 gain from the interest, you keep it in there for another year. If you continue to earn the same rate at 6%, your investment will grow to $11,236 uh, uh, by the end of the second year. Because you reinvested that $600, it works together with the original investment, earning you $636. Do you understand what I'm saying? First, you earn interest off the 10000 You earn $600. But then the next year, you're not earning interest off the 10000 If you leave it there and reinvest it, you're now earning interest off the 10600 Do you understand that? Your 636 which is 36 more than the previous year, this, is little, this little bit extra may seem like peanuts now, but let's not forget that you did not have to lift a finger to earn the $36. More importantly, this $36 also has the capacity to earn interest. After the next year, your investment will be worth $11,910.16. This time, you earn $674.16, which is $74.16 more interest in the first year. This increase in the amount made each year is compounding in action. Interest earning interest on interest and so on. This will continue as long as you keep reinvesting and earning uh, on the interest. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. This is the, the compound interest is the reason. And by the way, compound interest can work for you or against you. And I'm not again. I'm not an investment professional. I'm not trying to sell you. You know, we're, we're not going to have you know somebody at the back trying to sign you up for Roth IRA after service. Okay, that's not what we're doing. The point that I'm trying to make. The the point of of, of compound interest is why someone could invest. You know, a 30 year old or a 25 year old could be, be, begin to invest a hundred dollars a month or two hundred dollars a month, a small amount every month. Month after month, year after year, and because they're earning interest on that money, and when they earn the interest, as long as they don't take out of it, they're earning interest on that, 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 that base number is growing every year. It expands the investment. I mean, in a lifetime, you could put $50,000 into a Roth IRA that could be worth $500,000 or $750,000 in 30 years because of this idea of compound interest. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. What investment teaches us is this, that when we invest a small amount of money, and here's a trick, over a long period of time, there's a cumulative value to that money. When you invest a small amount of money over a long period of time, there's a cumulative value to that money. And in the same way, time, when invested, when you invest a small amount of time over a long period of time, there's a cumulative value to that time. Do you understand what I just said? When you invest a small amount of time over a long period of time, just like it works with money, it works with time, there's an accumulative value to that time. You say, what are you talking about? Let's go to the example that nobody wants to talk about. Exercise. 30 minutes a day, three to four times a week, over a long period of time, has an accumulative value. If I were to say, every Monday I'm going to run two miles. Every Wednesday I'm going to run two miles. Every Friday I'm going to run two miles. Every Sunday I'm going to run two miles. Now here's the thing. The first time I do that, the first time I do that, there is no benefit to that one initial investment. If you get motivated by this sermon, you say, I'm going to go run two miles right now. You know, you're like, run out, you know, or you say, I'm going to go run 10 miles today, okay? Here's the thing. There's no benefit to that one investment. But when, but when you invest a small amount of time 
into one activity over a long period of time, there's an accumulative value at the end. In the same way, when you neglect an activity over long periods of time, there's a negative effect that accumulates at the end also. And see, the Bible actually teaches this concept. Are you there in Isaiah? Let me show it to you quickly. Isaiah 28, look at verse number 10. Notice what Jesus, or notice what, Je- what is Jesus, because he's the word, but notice what Isaiah says about learning the Bible. Isaiah 28, look at verse 10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Notice verse 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might, that they might uh, go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. And what Isaiah tells us is this. When you're going to learn the Bible, here's how you learn the Bible. Line upon line, precept upon precept. See, here's, here's what you need to understand. When you're having trouble with your marriage or you're having trouble with your children, and this happens. This has happened at our church. People will say, we got to get to church. And they'll come to Verity Baptist Church, or they'll come to whatever church, and they'll come for one Sunday, and they'll come for another Sunday, and then they'll maybe miss a Sunday, and they'll come again, and they'll come again, and then maybe they'll miss three Sundays, and they'll come again, and then, you know, maybe three or four months go by, and then they'll say, well, it didn't work. We went to church and nothing happened. But here's what they don't understand. Spiritual growth happens when you invest a small amount of time over a long period of time, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Do you understand that? See, it's the consistency that you have to church. It's the consistency that you have to your Bible reading. It's the consistency that you have to your exercise routine. It's the consistency that you have to your Roth IRA. It's the consistency that you have in the areas of life that gives you the accumulative value. Because here's what you have to understand. When we invest small amounts of time in one action or one event over a long period of time, there's accumulative value. But here's what you need to understand. And here's why we don't do it. You want to know why we don't die? You want to know why we don't exercise? You want to know why we don't put away for retirement? Here's why. Because there is no immediate benefit to any single installment of time. There is no immediate benefit to any single one installment of time. You get on that treadmill for five miles and you say, nothing happened. It didn't work. But here's the thing. It's not going to work unless you do it consistently. You understand that? There's no immediate benefit to any single installment of time. And by the way, there's also no immediate consequence to, men, to missing any single installment of time. That's the danger. Because if if you are on that routine and you are being faithful, you're reading nine chapters a day, every day, and then February 1st rolls around, and you say, I'm not going to read the Bible, your life doesn't fall apart. Or the next church service comes, and you say, I'm going to skip church. Your life doesn't fall apart, but you skip enough church, you skip enough Bible reading, you skip enough exercise, it'll start showing in your health, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Because there's no, there is no immediate consequence to missing any single installment of time. But there is, in the same way that there's accumulative value to investing 
small amount of time into any one activity over a long period of time, in the same way that there's a cumulative value, please listen to me very carefully, there is also a cumulative consequences to neglecting any activity over long periods of time. See, the first time, the first time you decide, I'm going to work longer, I'm going to work longer hours, and I'm going to skip having dinner with my wife and my children, the first time you do that, there's no consequence. And that happens from time to time, it's no big deal. But if you do that again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, eventually you will raise children who say, I hate mom. Why? Never spent time with us. Work was more important. I hate dad. What? He was always traveling. His career was more important. See, there are consequences. There are consequences that negatively impact how you spend your time. And you can't make up for it. It's not like you can say, I've been a terrible dad for the last 25 years, but I'm just going to take the whole family to Disneyland and make it all up in one week. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work like that with your finances. It doesn't work like that with your health. It doesn't work like that with your relationships. And it doesn't work like that with God. See, the, le- the principle that you and I need to learn to leverage, that not only works for money, but it also works for our time, is to discipline ourselves, to consistently invest small amounts of time into my health, into my spiritual life, into my relationship with my children, into relationship with my wife, into my finances. There's no quick fix. There's no, you know, well, I read this book and I watched this one infomercial and they told me if I just drink this one thing, it's going to make me skinny. Or they told me if I read this one book, it's going to make me a millionaire. Or they told me, and we get sucked into those things. But it's not true. So how do you grow? Line upon line. Precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Go to the book of James real quickly. We got to finish up. We're almost done. James. If you start at the end of the Bible, you got the book of Revelation, you move backwards, you got Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, 1st Peter, James. Here's what investing, here's what leveraging a principle of investment to your time teaches us. It teaches us that when we invest small amounts of time into certain activities over a long period of time, there's a cumulative value. And when we neglect the same amount of time into any given activity, over a long period of time. There are devastating values. And people will tell you you can buy back your time. People will tell you money will solve it all. But it's not true. It's a lie. You cannot get those time. You cannot get those years back with your children. You can't. You cannot get those years back with your wife. You cannot get those years back. Once you've wasted time like money, it's gone. And you can reuse the next batch you get better, but what you've already spent, you'll never get it back. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. You want to know why you aren't investing for retirement? Maybe you are, and I hope you are. But most young people, and I'm going to point myself at that, okay, so you just let me do that. Most young people don't invest. Don't, most young people don't invest for retirement. Most young people aren't thinking about, 20-year-olds aren't thinking about retirement. And I, I, think people ought to, I think people ought to prepare for retirement. You know, I hear people say, well, your, your children will take care of you, and I hope my children take care of me. But look, I, I may have a big health problem. I don't want to be a burden to my 25-year-old son because I have cancer at, you know, 60 years old or 70 years old. 
You know, the Bible talks about preparing to seeing ahead. A prudent man foreseeth evil. The Bible talks about having, the Bible talks about leaving an inheritance to your children. I think all of those are things good. But here's the thing. You want to know why we don't? You want to know why we don't? Here's why we don't. Because we don't have the proper perspective. James chapter 4. Are you there? Revelation. You're going backwards. Revelation, Jude. 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John. 2nd, 1st Peter, James. We're almost done, all right? James chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. See, people say, I've only got to do this one thing. I've only got to do this one job. I've only got to spend this, this amount of time. And it's just this small season in life. But they don't realize your life is just a season. It's just a small amount of time. They don't have the proper perspective. Keep your finger there in James. We're going to come right back to it. But go to Psalms. Did you keep your place in Psalms? Remember, we're going to go to Psalms. We're going to come back to James. We've got to do it quickly because I'm running out of time. Psalm 39, look at verse 4. Psalm 39, 4. Psalm 39, 4. Lord, Psalm 39, 4. This is powerful, powerful verses. See, the reason we don't invest, the reason we don't invest, and I'm not talking about your retirement, although that's, that's, that's there too. The reason you don't invest in your Roth IRA and you don't invest in your children, you don't invest in your Roth IRA and you don't invest in your church, you don't invest in your Roth IRA and you don't invest in your relationship, you don't invest in your Roth IRA and you don't invest in your health. The reason you don't do it is because you don't realize you're running out of time. Because you don't have the proper perspective of time. Psalm 39 verse 4, Lord, make me to know mine end. And the measure of my days. What is it that I may know how, not strong, but frail I am? Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. He said, my, my days are like the span of my hand. And mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Shula. Go back to James. You know why we don't invest? Because we don't have the right perspective of time. But you want to know why we don't invest? Because we have, because we have not decided to quit procrastinating with our time. Notice James 4. We're almost done. James chapter 4, look at verse 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. For, the, for that ye ought to say of the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye, re, but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Look at verse 17. Therefore, therefore... The, the word therefore means because of this reason. Because of what reason? Because your life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Because of the fact that you don't know what will be on the morrow. Because you don't know what's going to happen in, in, in your life. He says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Here's what he's saying. The reason you don't do what you know you ought to do is because you don't have the proper perspective of time. That's why you procrastinate. That's why you say, I'll go soul winning next week. I'll learn soul winning next year. I'll go through a soul winning seminar next month. I'll, 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 I'll make the changes. You know, I'll do the nine chapters a day the next time. Because you think, because you think, you might not ever say it out loud, but you live your life in a way where you think, I've got all the time in the world. And you don't have the proper perspective of time. You procrastinate. Because... If you realize, see, the goal, the goal to getting the most value out of your time, the goal to getting the most value out of your time is steady plotting over a long period of time. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. I don't care what the guy said on the infomercial. I don't care what the guy said. He promised you a cruise if you come listen to him. And he told you if you get part of this pyramid scheme and 
you know, it's only going to cost you $5,000. You pay me up front, but then after that, you're going to make all this money. I, I don't care what he told you. Please listen to me. The only way to be financially successful is to, over a long period of time, invest small amounts of savings. It just takes discipline. It just takes character. It just takes not, being, not procrastinating and realizing, realizing there's no shortcut, whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, whatever it is. The way you get the value out of your time is by investing small amounts of, in, of, of time into one activity over a long period of time. That's how you raise good children. That's how you have a happy marriage. That's how you succeed with your time. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter number three. We'll finish up. If you have your place in Psalms, you got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter three, look at verse one. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, look at verse 1. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, look at verse 1. To everything there is a season. To everything there is a season. And a time. And a time to every purpose. Under heaven. See, there's time for, every, there's time for everything you need to do. Anything you need to do, there's time. If you learn to save time, if you learn to prioritize time, if you learn to invest time properly, there's, there's a, there, to everything there's a season, a time to every purpose under heaven. Look at verse 17, same chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 17. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. There's time for everything that you need to do. God does not give you conflicting responsibilities. God does not give you conflicting responsibilities. I can be the pastor that, Verity that God has called me to be for Verity Baptist Church, and I can be the husband that God has called me to be for Joanne Jimenez, and I can be the father that God has called me to be for Joshua and Joel and Elizabeth and Lydia and Ruth. He does not give me conflicting. He does not give me conflicting responsibilities. I have time to do everything that God has called me to do. But I may not have time, but I may not have time to go hang out with the guys every Saturday. But I may not have time to be on Facebook with you guys. But I may not have time to serve you to serve YouTube for six hours. But I, I may I may not have time for those things. So I've got to learn to practice savings. And some things need to be delegated. And some things need to be automated. And some things need to be eliminated. And I've got to leverage the principle of investment. Where I realize that the value, the value comes not in a big, let's do a big family vacation. I've been a terrible dad, but I'm going to make up for it all right now. That's not how it works. It's small investments of time over a long period of time that provides, accumulates value. And if you're smart, you'll take counsel. And if you're a fool, you'll do what you want. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these principles found in Scripture. Lord, I pray that there would be a husband or a wife, a teenager and even a child that would decide today, that would decide today, it is so important how I spend my time. Lord, help us to live with this idea of redeeming the time. There's value to our time. Help us to save it properly, to invest it properly. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Now next week, next week we're going to end the series on redeeming the time. Next week is the last sermon of the series. 
This week I gave you one, one practice and one principle. Next week I'm going to give you another practice and another principle that if you apply it to your time, it will work for both your finances and your time. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure you're here next week so we can finish this series out strong. You can get the applications. You can apply it to your life. And here's the thing. Some of you, some of you were sitting here and saying, I wish my son was here or I wish my daughter was here or I wish my co-worker was here or I wish my, because this is exactly what they talk about. They're so frustrated. You know someone that these types of sermons would be a blessing to. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to encourage them to listen to it. We put everything on our website, readybaptist.com, on our YouTube page. You can do it from our, our website. Encourage them to listen to these sermons if there's somebody that you know that needs it. Or, even better, bring them with you. Bring them with you next week. Say, hey, hey we're learning about how to manage our time. I know that's something you've talked about and said you struggle with. You should come with me next week. And we're going to learn a financial principle and a financial practice that will not only work for your money, it'll work for your time. We'll have Brother Al come up and lead us in a final song.